0: This is a Village Soundcast Network original production. Welcome to Lends Me Your Ears, the film podcast where we see something new in cinemas, usually, and connect and compare that film to older films by the same filmmaker or in the same genre. I'm Karsten Knox. I'm a film writer and critic. My blog is called Flaw in the Iris, and it can be found at HalifaxBloggers.ca.
1: And my name is Stephen Cook and I'm an arts reporter here in Halifax, still employed with The Chronicle Herald.
0: Today, we are speaking remotely from each other at this time of pandemic. And we are about to launch into our 98th episode of Lens Me Your Ears. And we are thinking about escape and movies about escape. And uh, yeah, we're gonna spend the next hour just roaming through the hinterlands of movies that will take us out of our isolation.
1: Welcome to Lends Me Your Ears, the movie podcast that traditionally takes a look at new films and cinemas and compares them to things from the past that you may or may not have had a chance to catch up with. Uh, Of course, right now we're in a bit of conundrum. There are no cinemas open and there are new films appearing on streaming services and and so on. Some things are going direct to digital and other titles are being held back until such time that we can actually enjoy them in the, the comfort of a, of a big screen presentation venue of some description. But uh, we're not there yet. It's, uh, it's still mid-April, and uh, it's, from the sounds of it, we'll have uh, a number of weeks to go before I even can think about uh, that happening again. I know I can't wait to see a movie on a big screen again at some point, but um, it's not happening anytime soon.
0: You and me both, Stephen. I, I gotta say, I didn't think I would miss the uh, the cinema going experience as much as I am.
1: The the last film I saw in the theater was uh, uh, the Vin Diesel uh, comic book movie uh, Bloodshot. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, not maybe not the best note to to end on uh, cinema wise, but uh, uh, you know, it was. I guess it was a decent kind of popcorn movie of sorts you know with some a fairly ridiculous premise but uh uh and i guess you know he's trying to escape uh this uh nightmare that he was in i'm not trying to draw it into our theme today but but uh you know he's stuck in this kind of mobius strip loop where he keeps uh having his brain erased and having to carry out these uh revenge assassination missions and he's uh he's kind of figuring out the something's not quite right with the world. So I I'm not necessarily recommending it, but uh I guess it's available now out there on various uh probably pay what you not pay what you can, but watch on demand or whatever and if you yeah. definitely if you want to turn your brain off, that might be the way to go.
0: Yeah, I think you liked it more than I did. I did watch it at home, and I wasn't. Uh, oh, and I didn't, I didn't like it that much. Like it was... <laughs> <laughs> I just I didn't find that that was a, a really great use of my time. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I didn't love it. But but yeah, there there is no a coincidence that we came up with this subject at this time of pandemic. The idea of. Uh, you know, escaping and 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 getting outside and doing something, uh, you know, s- uh, separate from this whole incarceration vibe. Now, you know, obviously there's a lot of films that can be escapist and. There's a plenty of those to dive into. I think if people like escapism, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe or James Bond or one of those movies is is a great uh, escape fare. But uh, I, I think we're going to go a little more literal yes. and then maybe, maybe explore the theme of escape in other ways. Uh, now, we have discussed in the past well-known prison escape movies, but, uh, you know, obviously the... Great Escape or Shawshank Redemption would be obvious choices there, but it's good to think a little bit outside the box now and again. Um, and, and you, I want to say, Stephen, you pointed out that, that a lot of these movies are actually as much about isolation as they are about escape. And I think at this stage, I've had enough isolation. So <laughs> maybe uh, save those save those conversations for another time.
1: Yeah, well, we, we kind of came at this idea with two sort of forking themes one was escape and and the other was isolation and uh the isolation films are starting to, to bring me down <laughs> and, and but but we might be able to kind of pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and, and get into that uh, maybe for another time but uh but the, these escape films are all you know fairly uplifting <laughs> for the most part that uh, about getting out of confinement and and restricted spaces and and uh and, and so on i think for the most part these films uh will hopefully make you feel a little bit better if you watch them as well
0: yeah well let's get into a couple of them uh you had suggested escape from sobibor which is a um concentration camp escape story that is based on a true story and i hadn't seen it before and we were able to track it down on amazon prime it's from 1987 and i think originally was made for television uh And uh, unfortunately, the copy that we watched, or I assume you watched the same one on Prime, it's not a great quality. It's almost like a transfer from VHS kind of thing. But I like the writing in the film, and uh, it's got this odd mix of American and British actors playing Polish, and of course... Germans speak English with German accents. Yes. Uh, and even though all the prisoners are from at least, you know, usually Russia or Poland or the Netherlands, everyone has no problem communicating with each other. There's, there's some, you know, issues that they just kind of skate over, and I guess that's just part of the genre. Um, but uh, yeah, I actually was was uh, quite engaged by this feature. Uh, you know, I sort of feel like the, the prisoner of war camp or the Holocaust camp sort of story Schindler's List was kind of the last word on this kind of movie, but and then Son of Saul, of course, took it to a whole other place, but um, it does, you know, this does include some pretty horrific imagery that will stay with you. Uh, this isn't an easy watch, I would say, but it's it's a watch that I think uh, it certainly grabbed me and kept me interested throughout, and it helped a lot that, you know, the performance is really good. Alan Arkin is great, and British veteran Jack Shepard, and it, it's weird because the film is kind of sold on Rutger Hauer being in it, but he takes an hour before yes. he shows up as a Russian soldier. But he does bring a definitive movie star charisma to bear, I thought. What did you think of the movie, Stephen?
1: I quite enjoyed it. I, I saw this back in the days of Laserdisc, uh, and it was a TV movie originally. Uh, I, but I think it might have been repackaged as a theatrical feature in other markets overseas, and so on. But but I do remember this film being kind of a big deal at the time. It was, it, you know, it was done for TV, but it was kind of a bigger than average production for for that kind of film. And it, and people like Alan Arkin and, and Rucker Howard was a pretty big star at that point. And uh, so, you know, it was it was certainly a, a better than average TV movie, uh, which isn't to damn it with faint praise because I think. I think th- those actors bring a great deal of humanity to this story. Uh, and from everything I've read, it's reasonably accurate historically. Um, it was an unusual camp in that it was uh, it was a concentration camp, but there was a mix of, of, uh, of Jewish cap- captives and also uh, Russian prisoners of war who had been kind of brought from other camps because I guess they were stirring up trouble um, amongst other prisoners. And they thought that, maybe in the concentration camp they could be subdued a little bit more which of course proved not to be the case you know it was the as as we know from the great escape what is it is the duty of a prisoner of war to attempt escape and and yes that's right be, being russians i guess they were a lot more hardcore about it than than maybe some of the other allied prisoners so uh it's that interesting kind of contrast between the prisoners of war and uh and the concentration camp prisoners who were you know, of course, as we know, are treated as less than human by the uh, by the Germans and, and how these two sides, these two very different sides come together to kind of take on their, their oppressors in the camp. And it's, it's, it's a true story. It's, it's pretty much the only incident like it uh, during the Second World War. And uh, of course, uh, as we'll see, it, it, it was uh, revived for a more recent film, uh, 30 years later but uh, it, it is fairly inspirational i do wish the copy was better uh maybe it was taken from the laser disc it, it looks a little better than vhs but um but it kind of kind of washed out but i think i think it's still worth seeing as an interesting portrayal of this historic event and uh, and for those performances joanna pacula is also very good as as a, a female prisoner who also uh gets caught up in 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 this uh this plan to to escape so and and, and she's quite good
0: yeah yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I really I, – I found myself emotionally engaged throughout, but I, I found it really – there's a sort of payoff going on here. It gets really interesting in the last, last half hour as the prisoners start to enact their plan, which involves luring SS officers into the huts and killing them one by one. Um, and as far as examples of revenge – Meted out in cinema or even a TV movie. This is pretty damn satisfying. There's a scene where a particularly nasty Nazi wanders into this kitchen, oh. and one particularly poorly treated cook has a very big knife. And it's almost Tarantino-esque. Actually, I was uh, I was quite surprised at how uh, how they played out this scene. Uh, so yeah. So as you mentioned, there was an uh, another version of the same story brought to film in 2018 it's also on Amazon Prime called Sobobor and uh it's a rush it's an international co-pro with Russian German Lithuanian and Polish money and uh I uh anyway you got to watch this one I have not but uh Stephen what did you make of this uh this other version of
1: the same story well it's it's kind of amazing to watch it immediately after the, uh, 87 escape from sub film, because it, you know, it, it's, it's amazing how it kind of hues to the same story. Pretty much the, the same events kind of take place with the, the luring of, of the Germans, of the officers into the various, uh, you know, there's a there's a different workshop. There's a jewelry workshop. There's a there's a, a tailor's uh, seamstress uh, workshop, and and they kind of play on their vanity. Oh, I've got this amazing! Fa- I found this amazing watch. You should come get it. You know, so they're basically playing on the Germans' vanity and and ego and and sense of invulnerability to kind of take the take out the officers one by one. Um, which I guess is maybe maybe that's spoiling things a little bit, but because it does take a while to get there. But 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 there's a great deal of ingenuity and intrigue along the way as this this kind of plot to escape comes together now uh and and hundreds of of uh, inmates did escape uh, it didn't necessarily go so well once they got out but uh, but a number of people did survive probably more than would have if they hadn't attempted this uh and of course the, it's just that that overwhelming question of you know do I want to die standing up or you know die on my knees basically kind of thing and and um or is it you know what's that phrase it's better to 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 die standing up than live on your knees or something like that so uh that's kind of the overwhelming feeling now of course this is a theatrical film so it can be more graphic um you know the germans are way nastier in this version of the film um you know they they do things like stage uh you know they use prisoners to do kind of basically like a chariot ride race with the prisoners as the horses and it's 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 pretty chilling stuff uh and and it's interesting that christopher lambert the uh the the french uh kind of not genre actor but you know of course we know him from highlander and and a number of films like that um you know he's he's playing uh, he's playing the sort of fairly nasty commandant of the camp, and it's it's interesting to see him play a villain. I'm sure I mean he's one of those guys that's just always working. He's always shooting films in Europe, things in Eastern Europe that we probably never ever get to see. Um, so he's probably played villains before, but I don't think I'd really seen him in a part like this before. And he's he's a real nasty piece of work. And there's a, there's an amazing and he's very good. Uh, you know he's an actor that I always find interesting to watch. And uh, you know here he recounts. A memory of once he he once, uh you know he once dated a, a jewish girl and he wanted to marry her and his his anti-semitic father strictly forbade it and you know in the end she moved away and got to the states and and uh but so he he has this conflict where he wants you know he once loved a jewish woman but at the same time you know there's this kind of self-loathing and and uh you know this ingrained racism in him as well so it's it's a pretty interesting portrayal and a pretty multi-layered character now like i say the the violence in this one is a lot more graphic there's there's one scene where somebody gets attacked you know attacked with an axe that you're not going to forget anytime soon but but uh again the, the parallels of the, the stories develop in pretty much the same way if i if i have a comparison the maybe the uh it it, it goes for this kind of grim reality which is of course the nature of the beast with a story like this. Um, so I, I find that often the characters don't have that same kind of spark maybe that that an Alan Arkin or a Rucker Hauer brings to their roles. Um so maybe what it goes for in terms of realism it might sacrifice in terms of I hate to say it, but entertainment, <laughs> um, even though it's such a grim doer kind of situation. But uh but the acting is very solid across the board. Um, you know but it's it's just in a more realistic sort of modern day kind of style i don't think that uh anybody is necessarily too over the top or anything but uh, uh it's it's definitely worth seeing for some insight into this uh, unique uh historic event
0: mm. uh, now we also had a look at empire of the sun also from the 1980s this is the steven spielberg uh film and uh It's the sort of full Spielberg approach to the semi-autobiographical novel by J.G. Ballard with the young Christian Bale as Jim, a a toffee-nosed, pretty irritating kid I found (laughs) uh, living with his – Uh, wealthy parents in 1940 Shanghai when the Japanese roll in and take over the city and Jim is separated from his parents and has to make do in the city turned upside down. And then the film jumps a few years into the future with Jim in a prisoner of war camp with a bunch of Brits, including Miranda Richardson and Nigel Havers and Americans, uh, uh, Joey Pantoliano and Ben Stiller and the very dangerous John Malkovich, which actually kind of reminds me of another prisoner of war film we talked about uh, oh, king yes. rat with uh, malkovich's basie basically able to live in more comfort as a result of his being a fast-talking shyster and the cultural gap between the brits and americans and what these circumstances make people do in order to survive and jim admires the japanese kamikaze pilots who fly from a Nearby, And there's a little bit of Alec Guinness's Colonel Nicholson from the Bridge of the River Kwai in him, I think. Um, But, you know, it's mostly told in an oddly sweet way through Jim's eyes. And Christian Bale shows the kind of raw talent that he's capitalized on as an adult. Um, You know, uh, I I like seeing this again, but it is a little bit of a strange mix of material and filmmaker. Spielberg's sentimental instincts, you know, especially in the 1980s with John Williams on board on the score and the big budget widescreen spectacle. It's an odd mix with the story of starving, desperate people surrounded by war and ridden with disease. But, you know, I guess the same argument could be levied against something like the great escape. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, you know, Spielberg, I think was tired of doing just those entertainments and wanted to really push himself as an artist, you know, as he did with the color purple and later films, like I mentioned, uh, uh, Schindler's List. So, uh yeah, I mean I think I think it can, can be counted amongst his uh his quality films. He uh he certainly uh you know, I think I think there's a lot to be a lot to recommend in in Empire of the Sun. And uh yeah, I, I think though I think Steven you might have liked it even more
1: than I did. I am a huge fan of this film, I have to say. I uh I, I, I don't know. I I I find uh I find it interesting that he's he's kind of working in a in a slightly different form i guess uh, with this story um you know it was it as he was moving into more adult subject matter i guess following et um you know i find th- this a really interesting step for him i i i find that that the spielbergian sentimentality is is somewhat tempered here i mean it's there um i do the, the john williams score Is occasionally a bit intrusive uh, at various spots in the film, and and I think that maybe even might date it more than some of the other stuff in the film. And, uh, but but I, you know, I I find that the fact that it's it's you know you got to keep remembering it's through a child's eyes so that's going to soften the edges somewhat of the story anyway and you know hope and glory john bormans uh, film i guess based on his own recollections is is the only other thing i can think of that kind of comes comes near it but i do have a real fondness for this film and the variety of characters that kind of pass through it as uh, as christian bale's jim goes from being you know a boy to if not a man the a, a, you know a, a boy who's too old before his time i guess based on what he's experienced and seen in, the, in in the camp um you know i wasn't uh for some reason when i was re-watching it i hadn't seen it in some time and i was expecting it to be darker than it was uh and it's it you know there are there are some dark and, and frightening moments but for the most part you know it's it's this he's viewing the 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 war as this kind of almost wonderland (laughs) to experience you know from a boy's own adventure magazine and i guess maybe that's uh that's part of the charm of the film uh you know i i I like what i i don't know if they did any filming in shanghai I, i should have looked that up but it but it's uh it, you know, I find it really does present that world in, in a really uh, effective way, you know, that the, the atmosphere of, of Shanghai as the Japanese are invading is, is is fascinating to me, and I find the film does a really great job of portraying that.
0: Yeah, I agree on that front for sure, and you know, speaking of films, and we often, you know, we'll talk about movies that come to mind as we're discussing the ones we've watched, but uh, Ang Lee's *Less Caution, uh, which I think we brought up on our Ang Lee episode, but it also is set in, I think, Shanghai, either post-war, or post-occupation, and or, uh, anyway, that, that might be one that uh, listeners might be want to check, checking out uh, in connection with Empire of the Sun. It might make a good uh, double feature. Um, yeah,
1: the Korean yeah. film The Handmaiden is kind of around the same period as well for something else if, if you find this whole period of history interesting.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, Right. So now that we've touched on a few of these uh, prisoner of war escape movies, uh, maybe we should uh, pause for a second and, uh, and go into, I don't know, maybe science fiction or something like that, that uh, take us off into a whole other world of escape. So we're talking about movies about escape here on Lens Me Your Ears, this remote edition where Stephen and I are are staying isolated uh, from one another, but using the wonders of technology to to connect and uh, and we're watching movies nonstop as per usual. Uh, so yeah, we're talking about uh, a couple of science fiction pictures now that seem to definitely fit into our framework here and. Uh, yeah, the uh, the earliest of the bunch is Logan's run which we have talked briefly in our dystopia films uh, section previously but uh, our episode back I think episode I don't know 39 40 somewhere in there but uh, Logan's run is a movie I'm happy to come back to again and again and you know I'd heard that it was gonna get remade uh, but I guess that's stuck in you know development hell because I haven't heard anything about it in a few years though though it was rumored to be remade. And I think it actually would make uh, a solid remake. I'd be up for seeing that. Uh, The, the original film, you know, imagines a world, the sort of idealistic world, but, but uh, idealized utopia, but is in fact a dystopia and uh, where people only age until they turn 30, at which time they have kind of this ceremony where they are uh, sort of sent on to some kind of wonderful, uh, uh, you know, idealize heaven of sorts, I guess, but uh, but really, when uh, when when our heroes discovered that it's it's no it's that's all just kind of a a cover up, then the escape really begins, and they have to try to get out of this this controlled environment, and they get hunted by the. This, is it the Sandman? It's been a little while since I've seen it, Stephen.
1: Yeah, they're, they're called Sandmen, which is which is great. Yeah, yeah. So, so <laughs> they put they put them to sleep permanently. What did you make revisiting the film, Stephen? <laughs> I I enjoy this film an awful lot. I first saw it when I was pretty young uh, on like an ABC Sunday night movie or something like that. I think that was my first experience of watching this, and then when when I could see like a, a the regular version on VHS with some extra nudity and violence of course that was a big treat you know in my teen years but I, I i think i was like seven or eight or something like that i was pretty young and my dad was a big science fiction fan so um you know he he had no problem letting me watch this with him whenever it was on uh, the the tv movie um that's a that's a funny tradition that's you know the, the the movie of the week on a network where they would just take a theatrical film and you know, throw in some commercials and show it on a Sunday night. That's, I, I don't know when that fell by the wayside, but that was a big tradition for me growing up. That's how I saw some of the, my first James Bond movies. Um, and, uh, I also saw Soylent Green around the same time, which of course gave me nightmares of, uh, you know, the, the shots of people being just lifted into a dump truck to be taken to the Soylent plant. Um, spoiler alert, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the, that, uh, that kind of gave me, uh, some, some apocalyptic, uh, adolescent nightmares for sure and i i don't know that logan's run did so much although i'm sure i probably became a little obsessed with the concept of carousel where you have to you know you're supposed to go for for rebirth uh, or uh, renewal i guess is what they call it the movie um you know but of course it's just a way to keep the population down in in this sort of self-contained uh world which was shot i guess in a brand new mall somewhere in texas uh so it, it looks like a mall most of the time it's it doesn't look like a very Futuristic necessarily, but uh, but I guess that's part of the charm. There, there's a certain cheesy aspect to to Logan's Run, which which I appreciate, but also I think makes it ripe for a reappraisal and maybe a, a, a some sort of um, reinterpretation. I suppose. Uh, there was a TV series too that followed for a season. I, I I'm sure I saw episodes of it, but I can't remember anything about it. But you know, at the same time, I think if there was a reboot of Rollerball, you know, another kind of dystopian future, uh, film from the seventies that got rebooted and not very well. So I, you know, I'm a little wary. I mean, I guess Westworld, um, has come back as an HBO series very successfully. So, so maybe there's hope for, for Logan's run and maybe Soylent Green and some of these other titles, uh, further down the road. But, but, you know, I, I, I still enjoy this film. I I love the look of it. I mean, it's obviously very seventies. I just have that fondness for, for seventies, sci-fi films hard to believe that uh you know only uh a, a year later star wars would come along and just blow everything else before it out of the water um you know this look this looks this would look dated a year later which is just <laughs> amazing to comprehend but but you know my, michael york is a kind of an earnest uh screen presence as as the uh, the runner who uh, wants to find sanctuary and and jenny uh, jenny Agutter. I, I I never did learn how to pronounce that properly, but uh, sh- she's always been very appealing as as a uh, uh, as a presence on screen. You know, think about Walkabout and some of the other films she's been in over the years. Um, you know, and she's she's terrific here as a, sort of a, a quasi underground uh, person who's going to help them get to sanctuary. And uh, there's just uh, it just it just moves along at a really good clip. I, I find that the the film gets going really quickly. Um, it, it doesn't waste a lot of time getting into uh, the storyline and getting into the, uh, the escape. I do find once they, you know, once they find some version of sanctuary, I don't want to say too much about it. I find it does kind of slow down a little bit, but, um,
0: once they, they meet with it Peter Ustinov, isn't
1: it? Should, P- Peter Ustinov. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah who, who's, who's terrific. He's very funny and very charming. And he's, he's, he's always great to watch. Um, but uh but but the the race to get there and to escape uh, the other sandmen and the creepy kids that live in the cathedral uh, which is a great segment that I'm, I'm pretty fond of um you know all that stuff uh, still resonates pretty well with me and I love box the robot who is voiced by the great Roscoe Lee Brown um you know fish plankton from the sea you know th- that whole scene uh I mean I, I loved it when I was a kid and I still get a kick out of it even though box the robot is is a pretty cheesy-looking robot. I've used that word a lot, but um, I do, uh, you know, that that whole sequence. I think uh, I, I get a kick out of when they, you know, well, I, if I say anything more, it's it's gonna ruin the film for someone who hasn't seen it. But <laughs> well, you know, it but, is uh, it is more than a something 40, to look forward to when you.
0: It's it's more than forty years old, Steven. So you know, you gotta take the roll the dice, I guess.
1: Um, yeah, I guess so. But, it, but you know, it's it's a film that you know definitely has a cult following. But I, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are still discovering this film. In all of its wonders, you know, for its kind of cockeyed look at the future and and some of the ideas, which, you know, have you know the whole idea of 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 getting rid of people when they turn 30 is just you know, it, it, it's kind of appalling. I guess it's I guess it was a novel to begin with, but you know at the same time I was thinking of like when when the COVID thing first started happening and kids were referring to it as Boomer Remover, and which is just a weird bit of black humor that i haven't heard anyone make that joke in a while but i do remember that from from early on in our current situation and that immediately made me think of logan's yeah. role of course yeah and um,
0: thematically you know that whole idea of of not paying respect or or considering an older generation to be somehow uh you know uh uh disposable uh is really is a theme that gets revived in a in a film we watched as well might maybe michael bay's only film that I really can enjoy <laughs> uh, and that's saying something given how many films he's made um, actually film might not even be the proper term when he's talking about Michael Bay more of a product but but uh, The Island from 2005 has a lot of Logan's run qualities to it and oh, th- thematically I think it's, uh, it's it's definitely you know going in that kind of direction where it's uh, it's showing that you know our obsession with Trying to renew our self renewal and uh, and trying to uh, stay young uh, has unhealthy ends. Um, now, two of the credited writers on the island are Alex Kurtzman and Roberto orki or orchi uh best known these days for their work on star trek properties which i think i found interesting but basically the story is uh it's 2019 ha 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 (laughs) and ewan mcgregor is lincoln six echo and scarlett johansson is jordan two delta both live in a very logan run logan's run esque thx 1138 kind of world where they're survivors of some global contamination uh, when people arrive, they can't really remember much about where they came from. But Lincoln is full of questions about why the things are the way they are and why there are so many rules and people can only eat certain things but they can't get physically close to each other. It turns out that this facility has a secret and I'm going to tell you what it is because the movie itself isn't too bothered about keeping the secret longer yeah. than 15 minutes. Uh, these people are all clones with Sean Bean as the psychologist – who refers to the residents of this place as products, speaking of products, um, the clones provide fresh organs when their clients, their super wealthy clients, need them. Uh, and it's not long before Lincoln and Jordan are on the run through sort of industrial tunnels and ducts and elevators to get away from this facility and to be free. Uh, I uh, yeah, the visuals are totally over the top Michael Bay style, completely oversaturated, over with lots of smoke and yellow and pretty much everything he could lift from every Tony Scott movie ever, um, except not nearly as coherent. <laughs> the action sequences are huge, and there's a scene where McGregor and Johansson fall off the side of a building on a giant R letter R. It's totally bonkers. Uh, and the last act is so noisy with chase sequences one after another with very little accompanying buildup in suspense or, you know, caring. But, uh, you know, there are a lot of decent roles, uh, supporting roles, I should say, for Steve Buscemi and Jimon Hunsu and Ethan Phillips. And, uh, you know, it's it is a film with a fair amount of entertainment value. And I think what it steals from Logan's run is. Is the stuff that makes it kind of interesting again, thematically about that, you know, youth culture and uh, and I would say that uh, McGregor and Johansson are are fun to watch. So so I guess I guess my I, my a measured appreciation for this film is in comparison to other Michael Bay films that I don't like at all. So I guess in comparison, <laughs> I I, I kind of dig it. Yeah,
1: I I have a weird fondness for this movie, and uh, you know, considering how little I enjoy pretty much every other Michael Bay film. Uh, I, I'm, so you're I'm, in the same boat I am. I'm pretty much in the same boat. And and this, this one just sticks out like a sore thumb. Maybe because it was a disappointment to him commercially. Maybe that's why I like it, because it made him feel bad. <laughs> uh, but no, but it's, uh, that's not true. I do, I do like the, the bad boys films. Uh, but... Uh, but but this film maybe because of that similarity, Logan's Run. I mean I mean it, it's, it's you're right. Many the, the two people on the run who don't know the truth about the outside world from this strange futuristic underground city. That's that's all you know. Logan's Run boilerplate right there. It was also uh, it was also um, very similar to a bad '70s TV movie called Parts the Clonus Horror. Which is probably best known as uh, later becoming an episode of MST3K, Mystery Science Theater 3000, and in fact, uh, at some point, um, maybe when the film was released, the uh, the original uh, director of Parts of the Clonus Horror uh, sued, uh, I think it was U- Universal Pictures, um, for or DreamWorks rather, I guess, uh, for 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 plagiarism <laughs> for basically stealing the story of Parts of the Clonus Horror, which is about the same thing, where a bunch of people are are very naive young people who are living in this colony then it turns out they're actually clones that are being kept so you know wealthy people can you know, harvest the organs of their clones if need be kind of thing their insurance as it were and uh i guess there was a lawsuit with a uh, 100 different points of similarity that uh wound up uh in a seven figure settlement for the director and writer of parts of the clone's horror so um but but of course the island uh, production wise it's so about far above and beyond the the film that it supposedly ripped off um even though there's also another there's actually a science fiction novel called uh i don't know if it's called spare parts or spares or or something like that and it's also got the same story so you know you know it's there's nothing new under the sun i guess but uh but this is i mean i again this this film has this locomotive propulsion to it as per you know, the laws of Michael Bay. But I think maybe because it isn't a franchise, it's not tied to a commercial property like Transformers. uh, You know, I can't exactly call it an original story, but a standalone story for Michael Bay is pretty unusual these days. So um, to see him apply that kind of uh, commercial, you know, TV commercial bread rigor to this story without having all the baggage of a franchise or, or whatever, I think is maybe makes it more appealing. Um, and, and it's well cast, you know, and McGregor, I, I think this is the only one and only time he's worked with, uh, with Michael Bay, uh, probably the same for Scarlett Johansson. Um, so I think the, the appeal of its actors and the fact that it is a for Michael Bay, a relatively fresh story, I think uh, make it work for me. Um, and, and, I think maybe it has a better than average script uh, to work with as well. You know, some of the, some of the stuff as, as these two people get into the outside world and kind of experience this, this realm that they have no knowledge of. I, I love all of that interaction, you know, like when they go into a bar and uh, he asks them if they they, they want to drink and he says, the bartender says straight up. And then Scarlett Johansson's Jordan 2 Delta just looks up at the ceiling. <laughs> you, you know, that, yeah, that was funny. It's cornball, but it works in, in this, in this, um, in this uh in this concept and and sean bean is is great as as the baddie you know the 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 guy who thought he the the doctor or scientist who thought he had a great idea but uh just kind of let it get out of hand um you know mostly through his own ego and everything um and uh and Jimon hunsu is is great as the security guy who's detailed with with finding these two uh you know, uh, the two clones or properties, or I, I think there's a term that they use throughout the movie for them. And I can't remember what it, what it was. it was aside from insurance policy. Um, and he's great cause he has kind of a, he's got a human side to him as well. That I think maybe there's a bit of a shift in his character that might be a little too abrupt. Um, yeah, I thought so too. But, uh, but you know, I guess, I guess, uh, I guess he figures he's going down for the count. He might as well do something to redeem himself after all the mayhem that he's caused. But, uh, it, it, the it, mayhem, it, you mean? The, the mayhem. mayhem. Yes, the mayhem. <laughs> yeah, there, there we go. There's a great portmanteau. Uh, and there is a lot of mayhem. The the, the the chase as as they're on the run just goes from one ridiculous set piece to another as only a Michael Bay film can. And, uh, and I just love the audacity of, of some of the sequences in this film.
0: Yeah, no, I, and I, I appreciate that. I mean, I, I've got enough, as much appetite for a big, dumb action movie as the next person. I do feel like by the, the, in the end, the third act is pretty much all that. Uh, yes. Though I, I did enjoy the scene where, uh, um, well, and this is without giving too much away, uh, one character speaks... In an American accent, to another character who looks very much like the other character in a Scottish accent, and that was that was quite uh, an interesting uh, a scene to set up. I, I enjoyed that. Um, You know, it's, as I mentioned, it is funny that this is set in 2019. It's set 14 years from when it was made. I mean, they really expected a lot to change in that 14 years between flying motorcycles and impressive increase in the budget for Los Angeles public transit, let alone this whole cloning deal. I feel like this should have been 100 years in the future.
1: Yeah, they should should have uh, maybe hedged their bets a little bit more. In the film that they meant, there's like some, the eugenics act of 2015, like, like somehow there was going to be some sort of big move towards eugenics in the next 10 years, which yeah. is sort of kind of impossible to, to consider. But um, yeah. there you go. That's There you it, go. It's uh, yeah. Try not to think about it as having taken place a year ago. And and uh, I think you could probably enjoy this one.
0: Um, now, I think one thing that uh, John Carpenter did with Escape from New York, which is another escape movie we should talk about, uh, is and smartly he set his movie Uh, in 1997 which at least i mean that's a little further away from (laughs) 1981 where when it came out uh i uh, have long long enjoyed uh john carpenter movies for all sorts of reasons the way in which he can really do an exciting low budget action picture and uh uh and and or horror he really did work in genre very very well um and escape from new york still holds up uh you know, and I think a lot of that has to do with with uh, Kurt Russell as Snake Plissken, who must be the baddest ass mofo ever committed to the big screen. Uh, Russell plays him entirely straight uh, in this story, which is, as I mentioned, said in 1997. Manhattan is a giant prison, and terrorists take control of Air Force One and crash it into the island. But the president, weirdly cast as Don- Donald <laughs> Pleasance as the president, which I would not have thought of as a, as a you know presidential sort. But, you know, he's fine. Uh, he escapes in a pod, but unfortunately the gangs of New York, they grab him. And the authorities, led by a guy named Hawk, an almost equally badass Lee Van Cleef, are helpless. So they get Snake to go in and find the president, and they give him fewer than 24 hours to find him. And to motivate him, they inject a bomb <laughs> into his blood. So you know, all of this happens in the first like 15 minutes. Uh, and I was, for one, pretty impressed that how they they basically created a uh, post-apocalyptic Manhattan. And apparently, they shot a lot of it in in St. Louis, uh, but uh, and then the rest of it, you know, around L.A. But uh, even 40 years later, some of the sets. Are pretty plausible. The Wreck of Air Force One, for example, looks pretty good, and it helps that uh, then J- John Carpenter, who of course wrote, direct, and composed the score, his music has aged really well. That moody but simple electronica, uh, it, it helps maintain tone in a way that I think is, uh, is a big part of why his movies are so great. And of course, there's the, a cast, Ernest Borgnine, Isaac Hayes, Harry Dean Stanton, and Adrian Barbeau. Uh, they're all Really cool and the forever cool cast. So uh, yeah, this was a fun one to go back to. And uh, yeah, though though I vaguely remember there was a sequel
1: that was not where nowhere near as good. Did Escape from see, L.A. Was it Escape it, it's from L.A. Not great. Uh, I feel like I should go back and rewatch yeah. it though. I I just I, I it felt like it was just leaning too much on the coolness of of the original without actually generating its own kind of sense of cool. But it does have a great cast. Steve Buscemi, you know, who was in the island, oddly enough, uh, is in it. Peter Fonda, Cliff Robertson, Pam Greer is in it. Uh Bruce Campbell shows yeah. up. Uh Stacy Keach. So uh I I'd say if you could watch it with kind of a tempered um expectations, it's 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 not as good. But it it you know with a cast like that it's certainly watchable, but it's—I don't know—Escape from New York did it the first time. Maybe the sequel wasn't such a great idea, but I feel like maybe it was something that Carpenter didn't necessarily want to do, but he thought maybe this will be successful. Because of course, you know, his career has had its share of ups and downs, and certainly by the time uh, Escape from LA came out in '96, you know, he'd had some some films that hadn't done so well. So it made—I guess it made commercial sense to return to sure. a. Uh, a property that he'd had some success with, and but of course, you know, having a bigger budget doesn't necessarily make for a bigger film. Uh, and I, I, I do love uh, Escape from New York, and you know the fact that they somehow were able to t- turn St. Louis into kind of a post-apocalyptic New York City. Um, so also mention, there's a couple of characters named Romero and Cronenberg, which I, I, I get, a, <laughs> I get a kick out of. Um, uh-huh. uh, you know, the film I do want to watch is They Live from 88 you know just uh you know uh, towards the end of the decade another kind of dystopian uh, film that uh, has that wasn't so successful at the time but i think maybe because of rowdy roddy piper being in it and it's and, and just the concept of these aliens that you can see with special glasses and so on you know it's it's great for conspiracy theory nuts to to, to watch and enjoy
0: now one other thing i want to say about escape from new york is i really get a kick out of how snake Pliskin is a celebrity in manhattan oh, amongst yeah. all the survivors although it's not really clear why he's just such a badass everyone knows him but everyone thought he was dead and that's the thing right <laughs> every time he goes somewhere
1: he's like snake you're snake Pliskin. i thought you were dead <laughs> apparently that was stolen from a john wayne like movie from the 70s one of those sort of lesser john wayne films where everybody keeps saying i thought you were dead <laughs> so but it's a, <laughs> it's a great joke so why not why not use it <laughs> Welcome back to Lens Me Your Ears, the movie podcast that would normally be t- looking at old movies and then and uh, comparing them to new films and theaters of similar genres or stars or what have you. But of course, right now we're we're in grab bag mode. There are no new movies opening in theaters. There are some interesting new things showing up on streaming services and so on. But get back in the saddle. We just thought we'd pick a theme that, that worked with these uh, current times of self, uh, self-isolation and quarantine and so on. That's the idea of escape, of getting out of a, uh, a perilous or oppressive situation, which is something I think we all find ourselves in right now. And, uh, and for this, uh, final segment, uh, we're going to start with a film that's fairly recent from 2017. It's, uh, it's available on Netflix and it's a, um, it's a film from Scandinavia called the 12th man about, uh, a famous hero in Norway who uh was a um, basically uh working with the underground to sabotage german um german uh well it was basically they were going to sabotage a bunch of german airfield and some other um facilities in norway because the germans of course had occupied norway and uh the 12th man of course was one of a group of men who who was like the last to escape uh after they were betrayed and their mission was basically um basically rendered kaput before it could even get underway. And it's it's a true story of, of, of Jan Balzerud, played by uh, a guy who I guess is uh, is actually a Norwegian hip-hop star, uh, or he's known better for music than he is for acting, named Thomas Gullestad. But he's very effective here as a man who who's pushed to the very limits of human survival in his effort to get out of Norway, evade the Nazis, get through the mountains and get to the safety of, uh, neutral Sweden. And it's, it's really about uh, not only his courage and his abilities, um, you know, in, in, in his real life, he was a map maker, map, map maker. He was a peaceful guy. And, uh, the, so, you know, being a war hero is not something that comes naturally to him. And, uh, it's a really stirring story uh, about how the community kind of came behind him and made their own sacrifices to make sure that this guy got out alive and could you know, be a symbol for, uh, for Norwegian uh, freedom.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty great film, and it's, uh, it's surprised me, I guess. It, it's got a, um, a really sort of plot-driven opening, where uh where you know there's we basically get this poor guy he's he's on the ice he's trying to to get away from the nazis who are right on his tail and uh it's it's not a film that skimps on those physical shocks while i thought that some of the storytelling is a little conventional um there are some pretty grim scenes of gangrenous limbs and peeled back fingernails uh uh, but when it, while it, when it gets going and establishing that uh, after it's gotten through and we've sort of established our lead's sort of character, then, then you know, I found myself really feeling for him and I really enjoyed how, um, you know, I guess the, it's really about community and how people helped him get where he needed to go and and saved him from the nazis that were on his tail i, I was a little reminded of the revenant you know and how that film was market, yes, marketed marketed on similar. this real life pain and suffering of the cast working in the woods in remote alberta but this felt like i really felt for these actors because this is full-on winter in norway it's it's really snowing this isn't any any your fake snow this is real snow uh and and stuff that really looks like um you know uh blizzard conditions wandering through knee-high snow and uh it's even i mean at one point there's a full-on reindeer herd they shoot in i mean this this really uses the exteriors and the mountainous regions of uh of norway really well um yeah and I, i i felt quite also a little bit educated about you know this heroic figure in in uh norwegian uh uh history and uh yeah, and, and I, I felt like the the feelings at the end it kind of reversed some of that emotional austerity that was going on in the early going. Um, and uh, you know, uh, who knew that Jonathan Rhys Myers spoke German, or maybe he doesn't. Maybe he just learned he enough of enough of the lines to you know to play that part. But he was, uh, yeah, he was pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, apparently that's how it worked. <laughs> he, did, he basically <laughs> did some he did some cramming uh before filming got underway which is funny like why why wouldn't they just get a german actor there's a you know till schweigel or somebody but but uh but he's very compelling as the uh the ss officer who's just determined to get that that last guy that he knows is out there, even when everybody assumes that he's died because he was in the water in frigid temp- temperatures somehow he just feels it in his bones that that uh that he's got a the the 12th man is out there and and he goes in for the kill so um it's uh you know he he delivers a great performance and lots lots of great character work throughout the film i, I really enjoyed this and it, it really you know it's two hours and 50 minutes but it, it really keeps keeps a grip on you all throughout
0: yeah i guess riz myers is kind of a star and i could i guess they could sell it on him but uh but yeah he he plays a bad guy really well he's always been a bit of a serpentine quality to him um uh, we should mention as well another film uh neruda from 2016 this is the uh this is a, a film I've really liked since I watched it. I guess I, geez, I don't know when I stumbled upon it. it was shortly after it came out, I guess, but uh, but I know we we had it on at um, Carbon Arc, and it's the story of the Chilean statesman and poet Pablo Neruda in the late 1940s. He was he was communist and publicly criticized the Chilean government, which was fascist at the time, and it certainly didn't win him any fans amongst the people in power. So became persona non grata. And when he went on the run, he and his wife deftly avoided the police inv- investigator tasked to find him. And it's weird. It's a little odd because the investigator is, narrates the story and he's kind of a fan of Naruto the poet and Naruto the folk hero. Uh, it's a really playful film uh, with a gorgeous visual palette and, uh, you know, it kind of explores the ups and downsides of Celebrity and even the consideration of the mechanics of storytelling and myth. And I really enjoyed this film. It turned sort of a political biopic into a chase movie and then kind of into a Western by the end. And, uh, yeah, and I learned a lot about how Neruda was, you know, I guess, in in the Chilean culture, how uh, what a celebrity he was and how well regarded.
1: Well, of course, we know his later life because... Uh, it was the acclaimed and, and beloved film Il Postino um, gives us um, uh, Pablo Neruda in exile in Italy and about the relationship he delivers with the, the, the postman who basically keeps him in touch with the uh, the outside world. So uh, that's probably where a lot of people heard about uh, Pablo Neruda to begin with, was with that film, uh, if they didn't know his work as a, as a poet. So it's interesting to see the earlier part of that story, you know, in a completely different well different language and, uh, and a different uh, different style i, I mean uh, il postino was kind of a romantic um comedy fable this is a, it's still got comedy in it and but it's it's a, a much different approach and uh I, I quite enjoyed it i i thought um you know i i was a fan of the director's previous films like no and uh, and jackie his english language film about jackie onassis um and uh I'm looking forward to uh, seeing more uh, Pablo Lorraine films like um, *The Club*, which I've, I've found—I uh, forget which streaming service has it—but I'm going to give that a shot at some point in the near future. And Tony Manero, um, his earlier film about a, a guy in Chile who's uh, obsessed with Saturday Night Fever and John Travolta's character—that's um, available on uh, where did I find that one on Tubi, I think, which is a kind of interesting, you know, freebie. Uh, streaming service on roku and other platforms so that's worth checking out but obviously he's a much more accomplished filmmaker now and, and this this film and and the way it approaches the narrative and the the two men who have this really interesting relationship even though they don't really actually meet the the pursuer played uh played by gail garcia bernal and and uh, luis necco as pablo neruda uh, you know, just two fascinating actors who you know that it's interesting how they fit, you know, they're both romantics, but in kind of different ways. And, and uh, I just love that, that duality of those two characters as, as the chase kind of goes in circles and, you know, leads its uh, merry way across the country.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's a, it's a terrific film. Uh, now, before we wrap up here and we are getting close to the end, uh, I wanted to give a quick shout out to hunt for the wilder people. That's uh Taika Waititi's film. Uh, it's actually available on Canopy, which is the free service. You can watch feature films uh, if you have a Halifax uh, public library card, and you can find them uh, find the service online. Um, and this is his really lovely film about a troubled kid played by Julian Dennison, Ricky Baker, who's been kicked out of multiple foster homes. He lands in the hillside shack belonging to Bella and Hector. Um, and uh, they're a, a, a little – you know, he's – this kid is a little – uh resistant initially, but he warms up to the couple but following a tragedy, Ricky and Hector take off into the bush, hunted by cops and the lady from social services. Uh and it is a it is a very it's funny how such serious material can be treated with such a light touch. Uh gags come thick and fast, Uh, is street savvy, not so street savvy, Ricky naming his dog Tupac and, uh, you know, and, and, and reminding his curmudgeonly uncle, heck, uncle in quotes, that running from the cops through the woods is just like Lord of the Rings. Uh, there are moments that are really touching here and, and, uh, themes of loyalty and even in a makeshift, uh, family. It's a beautifully shot film maximizing that, uh, New Zealand landscape and, uh, yeah, I really, I really like it. There's a great moment, uh, a dazzling sort of panorama, sh- backed by Leonard Cohen's "The Partisan," that manages to reach sort of beyond the the tone of the film into <laughs> something really cinematic. A little bit like Wes Anderson without the the whimsy. Um, anyway, it was really nice to revisit "Hunt for the Wilderpeople." It's it's a quite a remarkable film.
1: Well, that that Leonard Cohen sequence is great. It's 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 a nod, obviously, to Ro- Robert Altman's uh, "McCabe and Mrs. Miller." Uh which which had there's a scene which uses leonard cohen and the camera's panning and it's snowing and it's it's i i recommend the a great double feature to watch the two of them together but uh but i'd love the heart of this film it is very funny um you know it, it it does kind of scale up the ridiculousness as the chase goes on but it is a comedy and and uh the human element of the film doesn't get lost in that sam neill of course is always terrific and he's great here um as as the uh the crotchety woodsman who, who you know I, I always i'm a sucker for that kind of character the crotchety um you know older veteran who kind of has to warm up and do a to a younger uh protege kind of thing i mean I, that's that's a, a classic um you know a classic film trope that uh that i never get tired of and you know when you have sam neill doing it that's kind of perfect and and the whole idea of 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 Ricky kind of rediscovering his roots. He's, he's a Maori kid who's completely urbanized. And uh, I think, at, at, you know, as the film goes on, he kind of realizes that there's there's something uh, that he's connecting with that was lost to him up to this point. and And that's a really charming aspect of the film. And, and uh, you know, Taika Waititi is obviously the, the right director to kind of bring that out.
0: So uh, one more film to talk about, Stephen. Uh, what did you think of Ready or not
1: (laughs) well i'm a sucker for a good hunting humans film and i think i think i think at some point we're gonna have to do a, a whole show about that topic with the movie the hunt uh now available uh for view on demand and so on uh you know there's a rich tradition but this is firmly in the comedic uh aspect of that i can't think of too many other films that take that approach to this kind of material but the the whole story of a of a of a board game uh Inventing family that has become rich and kind of kind of decadent in its ways uh, having this tradition that uh, when one of the family members gets married uh, on their wedding night, they basically have to uh, The the person from outside of the family essentially has to run for their lives that they have to um, basically You know have this estate to hide from or fight back from uh, as uh, The family kind of hunts them for for sacrifice Uh, it's just too, too good to, uh, to give up, I guess. And maybe it's, uh, you know, part of a tradition, I guess maybe also includes the wicker man perhaps um, uh, amongst other things. But, but I thought this film was a lot of fun. It's, it's, it's beautifully made. It's got a a fairly light tone. It's got a lot of familiar faces like Henry Cherney, who I hadn't seen in a long time. Uh, Andy McDowell uh, as, as kind of the matriarch and Christian Brun, an actor that I'm quite fond of. He's Canadian. He was on uh, orphan black, uh, is probably one of his better-known uh, roles as, as the husband of one of the clones there, and it, it just it just has a fun beat, fast-paced tone to it that, that I really enjoyed.
0: Yeah, I would agree with you there. Henry Cherney and Andy McDowell, really fun to see them. I think they're the ones who bring their experience as performers here, uh, really help it. And uh, it's I was I watched this on an airplane, and I was so pleased that I did. I had a blast. I think uh, I might have kept my uh, fellow travelers awake as I was giggling along with this this pretty outrageous uh, action Horror comedy—I don't even know what you want to call it—but but, uh, but uh, yeah, it's a real blast.
1: Well, that wraps up our first self-isolation edition of Lens Me Your Ears. I hope you enjoyed it, despite all the uh, technical uh, uh, in- inequities that we had to go through to get get here. But uh, I think we can still have a good time with this show and enjoy it. And thanks for tuning in and sticking with us. And uh, of course, as always. Thanks to the folks at CKDU and Village Sound for helping us put it together. I'm Stephen Cook. I'm an writer here in Halifax, and you can find me on Twitter at NS underscore S-C-O-O-K-E.
0: And I'm Karsten Knox. I write about film. Uh, I'm also on Twitter uh, and named after my blog, Flaw in
1: the Iris. And, of course, you can connect with uh, Lens Me Your Ears via our Twitter account or our Facebook page. Either would be great. And uh, hopefully we'll see you in two weeks with another episode. Stay safe and uh, stay separate.